0: So, um, yeah, I really appreciate all of you praying for my dad this week. As many of you know, he's had um, several weeks of this struggle. Um, They finally think they have the diagnosis, praise the Lord. I just spoke to my mom, and they think it's colitis. And um, that my dad thought it was colitis four weeks ago, but the doctors kept saying, no, that's not what it is. And guess what? Now they're saying that's what it is. So... um, Fortunately, praise the Lord, um, the EKG came back yesterday, and his heart looks great. So that was something else they were concerned about. Praise the Lord, yes. So um, he is in the hospital at least until Monday at this point because they have run some tests that they need to confirm the diagnosis. So he's there He's a little bored. He's a little uncomfortable. So keep praying for him and pray that the new medication that they have him on works and works fast. I know he wants to be here with you. Um, As a daughter, I was particularly proud the last couple of weeks that he pushed through, and he brought the word, and he he heard the word from the Lord, and he delivered delivered it to all of us. Um, And today, I'm certain he would be here if it weren't for the fact that he's there. So... He called me yesterday morning, and he always, you know, waits until the last second to make these decisions because he so desperately wants he wants to be here. So he called me yesterday morning, and he said, I guess I'm not going to make it. Can you cover? And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I love this. So I'm grateful that he trusts me, and I'm grateful for all of you for being here today. Uh, before I get started, I do want to acknowledge that Thursday we had the National Day of Prayer uh, service here that Peg Kenyon had up, and it was Wonderful. If you didn't get a chance to make it, I would put it on your calendar now for next year because it was beautiful. Um, there were several churches represented. Some, several members of the community were here sharing and praying and it was, it was really great. It was a wonderful experience. So thank you, Peg, for putting that on and look forward to next year and I hope you all are there. So, okay. So, um, you know, my dad gave you homework last week, right? Yeah, I'll do it. So, you know, when he said, Amy, can you cover for me? Um, I, you know, began to seek the Lord on what he would have me share. And because my dad did give you a reading assignment, I figured I would not disappoint, even though I know he has every intention of sharing to you the revelation that the Lord has given him out of Psalm 78. Uh, he and I had talked a couple of times. I've sat under his teaching for 41 years. I think I know some of the things that he would say. So I'm going to beat him to the punch and I'm going to try and say him first. No, I'm just kidding. I ha- I'm pretty sure that um, I just have a little bit of a different perspective. So you'll kind of hear my perspective this week on Psalm 78 and then next week you get to hear his. Cool? Yeah, awesome. So um, he's been talking about the the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord for the past several weeks, right? And if you have had a chance to come to Anchor when it's my turn to share, I have been talking for several months now about the word of the Lord. and kind of going through the Old Testament scriptures to learn about where the word of the Lord, uh, how it originated, first in prophecy and in vision and in dreams and um, in face-to-face encounters with the Lord, and then eventually through the written word when Moses and others began to write it down. So it's funny how here I am kind of focusing on this kind of one character of the Lord, one of, one attribute of the Lord and his word, right? He equates the word with himself. They're interchangeable. The word of the Lord is the Lord, right? The glory of the Lord is the Lord. The presence of the Lord is the Lord. These attributes are equal to him, right? So it's been funny to listen to my dad preaching about the glory and the presence of the Lord, and here I am preaching about the word of the Lord, and so many times what we are both finding in scripture are overlapping. You know, it's kind of like spaghetti, they're just all intertwined. And so, um, some of the things that I had shared recently, and it's just generated some great conversation between my dad and myself. Um, this ch- chapter, Psalm 78, I'm not going to read the whole thing because I trust you all did because you all did your homework, right? Right. Um, but this is a really interesting chapter because it is both historical and prophetic. Right? How cool is that? Because it's history. H.S. who was writing this down, he wrote this psalm. As an offering to the Lord to remember, he starts off with, you know, I'm gonna tell you some dark sayings. And that doesn't mean, oh, it's dark and, and scary. It means these are really rich, really important sayings that you need to tell your kids. Right? So he is talking about the history of the, of Israel up until this point. And he's go, he's gonna go through particularly what happened in Egypt. And again I'm not going to read all of it, but you know what happened in Egypt, right They were afflicted with plagues because Pharaoh hardened his heart, God intervened, he he took his people out of his, out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. so that's what the the that's what this chapter is about but it even though he was writing from his perspective, and he only knew up until this point, which is the time of King David, right? And there had been about 300, or was it 350, 450 years between the time of Moses and David, right? So he's writing that history. But he doesn't know that he's also writing prophetically about what's going to happen in the future, And here's the beauty of prophecy. Biblical prophecy, I heard somebody say it like this recently. Biblical prophecy is already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. So much of what we see in biblical prophecy has happened. We can look back and say, yes, that has happened. Jesus, for the most part, fulfilled so much of messianic prophecy. And yet, some of it is still to be fulfilled. Some of it was fulfilled and will be fulfilled again. And this is one of those prophecies where it was fulfilled in the time of Moses. It was fulfilled in the time of David. It was fulfilled in the time of Jesus, and it will be fulfilled for us in the future. How awesome. How important is this chapter if it's going to touch on all of those? I was thinking about it. I was like, it's almost like um, you know, Dickens Christmas Carol, right? The, the ghost of the, of the past, the ghost of the present and the ghost of the future, right? This is one of those prophecies. It it covers the whole, it covers the whole of history. So we're going to pick this up and I want to pay attention for the word glory. All right. That's what my dad's been preaching about. There are several words in the Hebrew for glory. One of them is kabod, right? That's the one we see most frequently. It means glory, honor, glorious, and abundance. And when we see glory in here, that's the word that's going to be used. Okay, we're going to pick it up in verse 52. But this is after God brought his people out of Egypt, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which is, which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them in inheritance by line, made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth. And greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men, and their maidens were not given in marriage. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies in the hinder parts, and he put them in perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph, and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheep holds, folds. From following the ewes great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Let's pray. Father, we are so awed by you and by your word. What mighty things you established in this word that you would write, um, long before centuries before you would tell us what was going to happen and millennium before we would still be waiting for the the fulfillment of these prophe- prophecies God we are so blessed to be here today and honored that we get to hear your word i ask that you speak through me and the words that i say would be yours and not mine in jesus name amen okay so there was kind of a lot in there we're going to kind of pick it apart We're going to start back where he talks about the fact that he brought them to the mount. Now, this was the sermon that I had preached um, a couple months ago that my dad and I had a a pretty deep conversation about because, and I'm not going to re-preach it, you can go back and hear it if you want to, but basically what is talked about in, in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 19, Moses has brought the people out of Israel. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've traveled for a few days. And now they're at the base of the mountain of the Lord where they are supposed to meet him. This was the destination. Yes, it is true that the promised land was the promised land. Like that's where they're going. But the mountain of the Lord was the destination. It's the destination that Moses said to Pharaoh, I'm going to take the people and I'm going to take them out to worship me. This is where they were headed, right? So they get there, and the Lord says, okay, this is what's going to happen. And you can read about it in Exodus 19. He says, I'm going I'm to be up on the mountain. I'm going to appear in the clouds. My glory is going to appear in the clouds. The people are going to come up to me. And he actually says in, um, let me see if I can find it. Sorry, I'm not going to be able to find it. But he says to them, listen, you're, oh, here it is in verse 6 of chapter 19 and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says to the people you will be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now if if you're me you're going wait a minute that that's not really what happened. Right? They we know that he had to establish a priesthood through the, the through the levite tribe, right? Because The people weren't going to be the priests. The people were going to be mediated and represented by the priests. But here it says in Exodus 19 that the Lord is saying to them, you're going to be a priesthood and a holy nation. What happened? Well, if you read in Exodus 19, the Lord appears with his glory in the cloud, in the thunder, in the lightning, and the people get freaked out. And they actually say to Moses, we can't go. You go for us, Moses. We can't go. They say this in Exodus 20. And Moses says, no, 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 you don't understand. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. Go ahead, be afraid, but don't stay away. Come. And they like, no, nah, we're good. You go. And they forfeit their right as priests, Before the Lord, right there in that moment, Moses has to go. And, you know, again, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but fortunately for us, (laughs) we get a second chance to be that kingdom of priests and holy nation. We're going to get there in a minute. But yes, they forfeited that. And the Lord in, in Psalm 78 is saying, Hey guys, you gave it up on the Mount. You could have been my priests. You could have been, had a direct line to me, and you gave it up. Then he goes on to talk about in Psalm 78 the story of the glory being gone, right? The glo- I, I gave my glory to the nation, to, I gave my glory up. This is in reference to 1 Samuel chapter 4, and that's where we're going to focus a little bit of time here today. Now, I mentioned that the word glory is kabod, right? Well, there's another way to say the word glory. It's "kabade." It's actually a derivation of the word kabod. It's kabeid. all right? They sound alike, right? Kabeid actually means to be heavy, to be weighty. Now, that's kind of neat, right? What a beautiful metaphor for the glory of the Lord, right? It can be weighty. And I think that's what the people of Israel were experiencing when they stood at the bottom of the mountain. They looked up, and they were like, oh, man, that's too heavy. We have some hippies in here. That's heavy, man, right? Like, I can't handle it. And sometimes that is the weight of the glory of the Lord can be very heavy. I would suggest to you that the weight of God's glory will be heavy on you one way or the other. And it's your choice to determine whether it's going to be a good way or a bad way. And let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and see some of the ways that it can be heavy. All right, picking up in verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer and the Philistines pitched at Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about four thousand men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. All right, so let's explain what's happening here, right? So after when Moses took the Israelites into the promised land, they established the tabernacle of Moses, right? And they build the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord's glory rests there, right? Everybody cool with that? That is where the sacrifices happen. That is where, you know, the, the, the priests seek the word of the Lord. Well, they had carried this, they, you know, they knew their history. They had carried this Ark of the Covenant into battle multiple times in their history. And every time, great things had happened. So here they are, they're getting their tails kicked, and they say, okay, what can we do? Oh, I have an idea. Let's go grab the Ark of the Covenant. That will win us this battle, almost like like a talisman, right? Almost like a, a lucky charm, if we just have the ark of the Lord, then we can take it into, into battle with us and, and we'll be able to win this thing. Guys, you and I both know the glory of the Lord is not to be used as a lucky charm. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's not a, you know, a, what did they call it, the horseshoe that you hang the right way, right? This is not what it's supposed to be. And what happens when they take the ark of the Lord improperly against God's wishes out into battle? Not good things. So the people sent to Shiloh that they may bring from thence the ark of the Lord of hosts which dwells between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Eli being the high priest and judge of Israel at this time, his two sons, not good guys, not followers of the Lord, they do the wrong thing and they go get the ark. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What means the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there has not been such a thing heretofore. Their own history had told them this isn't going to, this might not work out really well for us now that God is there. Woe unto us! Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. They knew their, the Israeli history too, right? Then they say to themselves, Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been unto you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great, great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. The ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were slain. This is what the writer of Psalm 78 is referencing when the glory of God is taken from Israel. There ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching. For his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What means the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli... Now Eli was 98 years old, his eyes were dim and he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he that came out of the army and fled today out of the army. And he said, what is there done, my son? And the messenger answered him and said, Israel fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken." And it came to pass when he made mention of the Ark of God that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. Guess what that word heavy is? That's Cabade. Glory. And he judged Israel for forty years, and his daughter in- law, Phineas' wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said to her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, Ichabod, means the glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of the Lord was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. The kibod of Israel is gone. We're going to continue on in chapter 5. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon would be their god, the god of the Philistines. Now we're in, the, in Dagon's temple. And when Ashdod rose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the, to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left before him. Ha ha. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in in Ashdod unto this day. I wonder what that's about. I read that. I looked into it. I can't figure that out. So if anybody has any ideas, let me know. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them in Ashdod. The the hand of the Lord was Kabed, on them in Ashdod. And he destroyed them and smote them with hemorrhoids, even Ashdod and the coasts thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, the ark of God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon, our God. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the Lord be, of Israel be carried about unto Gath. And they carried the ark of God of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with very great destruction. And he smote smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had hemorrhoids in their secret parts. So when he said he smote them in their hinder parts, in Psalm 78, he was being very literal. By the way, this would have been extremely shameful for the Philistines. Because how do you talk about that, right? You don't talk about that. We still don't want to talk about that. This was extremely embarrassing and shameful for them. Therefore, they sent the ark of of God to Ekron, and it came to pass, as the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought about the ark of God of Israel to slay us and our people. They are not happy that the ark is now there, are they? So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said send away the ark of god of israel and let it go again to its own place that it slay us not and our people for there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city the hand of god was very kaved there and the men that died were not smit were that died not were smitten with hemorrhoids and the cry of the city went up to heaven see the glory of the lord right the heavy weighty gro- glory of the lord it's going to fall on you right? Is it going to come on you the way it did on the Philistines or on Eli? Or are you going to let it come on you in the way that the the Lord has allowed you to prepare yourself the way he did, he, he called the Israelites to do? Prepare yourself, sanctify yourself, come into my presence. We have that option. And if we don't take that option, the option will be taken away from us and it'll happen to us anyway. Let's just accept that. All right. So just challenge us today. You know, let's, let's be really serious about the glory of the Lord. Let's take it seriously. So, um, the ark stays, it, it, they end up, the Philistines end up putting it on a cart. They kind of just let it go. It ends up back in Israel where it stays for about 50 years. And then David, King David comes along. And this is the the rest of the prophecy that's in Psalm 78, where he, where he says he forsook the house of Joseph and of Ephraim, and he chose instead the tribe of Judah. Because David takes that, and instead of putting the Ark of the Covenant back in the tabernacle that Moses had prepared for it, he instead puts it in a different tabernacle. We call it the Tabernacle of David, because he's the one who pitched it. And that's where... The, the priests are able to enter in, be in the presence of the glory of the Lord and worship the Lord and praise the Lord. They don't have to do the sacrifices in the Tabernacle of David that they have to do in Shiloh, right? And this is, if you've ever heard my dad's teaching on the Tabernacle of David, this is prophetic about what it's going to be for us as people redeemed to the lord to be also able to enter into the presence of the lord through prayer and through praise and through worship praise god right first peter 2 9 you're a kingdom of priests a holy nation of peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light again that's a whole other um sermon we could get into but i want to i want to move on today into something else that i think is pretty cool So I mentioned that Psalm 78, that that all of biblical prophecy is already but not yet, right? This writer of Psalm 78 had no idea that when he talked about, you know, my dad mentioned it last week, the verse that says in Psalm 78 that the Lord awoke as, as a man who was drunk, Who've been drunk. You know, it's an interesting metaphor, right? It's an interesting picture to say he woke like somebody who had been drinking, you know, or or who was drunk. No, who woke as one out of a sleep, as one who was drunk by reason of wine. That's what it says. Interesting picture. Is it offensive to anybody that the Lord compares himself to somebody who's drunk? It, you know, it reminds me of the song that we sing every once in a while, Reckless Love. Right where it says um, the the overwhelming reckless love of God, I know people who you know have who take issue with that because there's nothing reckless about the Lord. There is nothing reckless about the Lord. He's very, he's he's very intent. Right? He has intention. He does everything, you know, that he that he plans. Right? But I do like the picture of the reckless love of God. In my mind, I see a, a. A child on the railroad tracks whose dad comes out to see his little boy on the railroad tracks and the train is coming and the dad runs as fast as he can and taking no thought for his own life to get that kid off the railroad tracks. Or, you know, the mom with the baby in the bassinet and the big bear who's coming nearer and nearer and nearer to her precious baby and she's she's not going to care about that bear. Right? She's going to do whatever it takes to get to that baby and protect that baby. To me, that's the reckless love of God. Right? And so this picture of somebody who's awakening out of a mighty sleep who is drunk by reason of great wine, you know, it's just like, it just really puts it vividly. Like, man, this guy, he's a little bit out of control. He does not care. And in the case of his glory being taken to the Philistines, he is going to go and he is going to get that glory. And if it costs Dagon his hands and his feet, right? And it costs a few men their dignity. If it costs a few people their lives, he's going and he's going to get it and he's going to take it and redeem it, right? And that's what he did. He went and he retrieved his glory. So this is a picture of what we're going to see when Jesus comes, right? And again, Jesus comes. And, And let's look at John chapter 1. We're all pretty familiar with this, right? But let's just kind of look at it in this light. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's so much in here that we could talk about, but just kind of look at it this in light of Psalm seventy eight, right? The people of Israel rejected the Lord. They rejected him at the mountain. They rejected him when they came into the promised land and they turned after him. They didn't see the glory of the Lord for what it was. The people of Israel then reject the Messiah when he comes. They did not receive him, right? They did not see his glory. And he walks about with them for 33 years not really being known for who he actually was, right? But then the Lord takes his glory and allows it to be delivered into the hand of the, of the enemies, to be taken. And on the cross when he said, you know, it is finished, it was that moment, the glory of God had departed. The glory of God had departed from this world. And yet, in Ephesians 2... Right? That's where we read that it says that the mighty, the, the working of God's mighty power that he wrought in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead, right? So, it, he smote the devil in his hinder parts. Right? And he got Jesus out of there and he's led captivity captain, captive, excuse me. In Mark 3, Jesus predicted, he said, no man can enter a strong man's house unless he spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. Jesus was doing that on earth, right? I mean, he was walking around spoiling the devil's house all over the place. But he's predicting, I'm gonna go down there and I'm gonna spoil that guy's house. Right? And then in Colossians 2.15, it says that he spo- spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He went down there and he kicked some tail. That's what he did. Just like in, in 1 Samuel, when the Ark of the Covenant is in the presence of that false god, Dagon. When Jesus is in the presence of the devil, you know, there's just no competition. So again, you know, we see that this is exactly what was predicted in Psalm 78 was that Jesus was going to do it. But I I suggest to you that he's not done doing it, that he's going to do it again. Read the book of Revelation. Anybody read the book of Revelation? It's like, you know. You Don't read it when you're tired. Don't read it when you've been working really hard. Like, you got to read it with a clear mind, and you're still going to be confused, right? But if you read the book of Revelation, it reads a lot like what happened in Exodus to the people of Egypt, right? There's all kinds of plagues happening. There's all kinds, there's earthquakes, there's fires, there's sickness, there's locusts, everything Everything that happened to the people of Egypt and then some is happening to a future people that 's talked about in the book of revelation right so here we 've got all of this stuff happening, and I actually want to start in Revelation chapter one before all of that goes but I think you have to read you can 't read revelation chronologically i don't really i don 't really understand it very well, but you can 't read it and think that it 's going to happen that linear you know, <laughs> straightforward way. So you can kind of pick pieces out. Okay, so Revelation uh, 1, verse 6. This talking about Jesus says, He hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. See, he's established us as the kings and priests. We have that opportunity to now go up the mountain, right? And, you know, when I was sharing this with uh, with Anchor, You know, I felt led of the Lord to say, and I'm going to say it here, and I hope you don't get upset with me because this is, you know, this is for me as much as it is for any of you. But I think that we still let Moses be our priest. We still let Moses be our mediator. You know, and maybe we have an exceptional congregation here. You guys are really great. But there's a lot of Christians out there who go to church to have their, you know, the word spoon-fed to them, right? To have the presence of the Lord, the space created for the presence of the Lord for them. They're not out there actively seeking to spend time with the Lord. They're not out there actively seeking to be in his presence, to spend time in his word, to find out new revelation for themselves. They're just out there, We, I'm going to put myself in that category. We are just sit in these chairs and we let Moses do it for us. And I just want to suggest to all of us that we would be better served to go on the mountain ourselves. To go up there ourselves. To go and meet him. I want to have the shining face that Moses got at the end of all of that. Right? When he comes down off that mountain... His face is shining. They were afraid of that. They made him cover his face. You know, do we ever do that to Chris? Yeah, you got to cover your face. I can't handle the, the presence. You know, do we do it to Pastor Don? No, Pastor Don, it's too heavy. I can't handle that. It's too heavy. You know? Ugh. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what Dad's been trying to say for months, right? Just do it trust me. I I heard, um, Francis Chan, um, anybody know who he is? He's a, he's a famous pastor in San Francisco. And I heard him say one time, this was kind of interesting. Okay. I'm just going to tell you what he said. You can take it for what it's worth. But he was talking about the birth of his, I believe it was his son, his second child. He had a daughter and, um, she was able to be at the birth of his son, And it actually was, she was actually able to cut the umbilical cord. And he said that the day before his wife or the week before, sometime before he was, uh, his wife went into labor. He had spent some time, several hours with Jesus, spent several hours with the Holy Spirit, just communing with with the Lord, praying, praising, worshiping, reading the word. And it it was just this beautiful moment, right? Then fast forward a few days and now he's at the birth of his child. Beautiful moment. Seeing his daughter cut the umbilical cord, seeing his wife hold his baby, seeing the daughter there. It was this beautiful moment. And he walked away from that and he said, thank you God for that moment with my family. I'll take the time with you over that any day. And I was like, oh, <laughs> as a wife, you better not say that to me. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it was like, whoa, whoa, really? We define our lives by, by those kind of birth moments, right? And yet, we have the opportunity to have even greater defining moments in our lives by the mountain moments, by the heavy, weighty, glory filled, presence of the Lord-filled moments that we don't bother most of the time. And I would ask you all to please pray for me, that I can get to the point where spending time on the mountain is where I want to be. And I will pray for you as well. He made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I see him, you know, coming on the clouds, right? It's like he's ready. He awoke as one out of a great sleep, as one who's drunk. He's just coming on the clouds for us, people. How awesome is this going to be? I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He he is, he was, and he is to come. His word is is and was and is to come. His prophecy is and was and is to come. Psalm 78 is and was and is to come. Right? I just want to close with um, reading Revelation 21, because I was just reading it um, yesterday and today, and I was just like, oh, my goodness. This just sounds so great. This is like imagine because if you read the middle, you know, from one to t- to twenty one, right, of Revelation. Like I said, it's like the Lord just kicking tail everywhere he goes. You know, he's sending horses and he's sending bears and all like all this stuff is so cool. And he's just everywhere God goes, everywhere the the one who is true and just goes. It's like you know, it's like what happened in Egypt. The Lord's just having his way and he's smiting them in their hinder parts, right? And then we kind of end in Revelation 21. I really liked very much how the end of Psalm 78 kind of, it just closes so peacefully. Did you notice that? I just gonna read those couple of verses again. It it just it was like all this stuff is happening. And then it says he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he established forever. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. And following the ewes, great and young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands like if we create you can create a better movie right because it's like conflict in Egypt bad things happening God saves them yay but then they reject him and he lets his his glory depart but then God brings it back and they all lived happily ever after right? Like it just ends so beautifully. And I feel like in Revelation 21, it's like this beautiful ending. This is our ending guys. This is like when he comes, like he's, like he's crazy, like he's drunk when he comes and he destroys the devil once and for all. This is what we get. This is what we get. And, and again, I'm going to close with this, but I just want you to consider the fact that you can have this now right? He has made you kings and priests unto God. And our time with him can be now. We can get a vision for this now. We can have this experience now. And we will in the future. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with them, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be their God, be with them and be their God. Again, he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, and he established the tabernacle of Judah of the Lion of Judah. And he, Jesus, we read in John 1, right? He came and he tabernacled among us. He made his abode with us. And here we see it again. He's going to do it again. He's coming back. He's going to tabernacle with us. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is how we know it's in the future, right? There shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying. (laughs) Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Um, When Chris was singing that today, I was just crying. God, I I want newness for my dad, you know. I want newness for myself. I want newness for all of us. What a tremendous promise. And he said unto me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. It is done, it is finished. Again, he repeats, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he will be my son. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. I saw no temple therein. He had described, if you, if you read the rest of Revelation 21, he's describing this new Jerusalem and what it looks like. He actually has John take out a, a measuring stick and measure the size of it. Like, it's, it's just so cool. And he says, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. But you know what I think of when I read this? We are the temple. We are his temple right now. He abides in us. This is our future, where we get to be in a place where the Lord is our temple. But guess what, guys? We're there right now. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb is the light thereof. That's what we read in John 1. He is the light of the world. He is the light now. And he will be the light in our future. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. The kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Notice that they, again, it's like, it's like peace, right? When he talks about in Psalm 78, and he says, you know, I'm calling David, who is the shepherd, and he and then I, we're going to lead you like sheep, right? You're going to be our sheep. We're just going to take you where we need to go. Peace, safety, that's your future, people of Israel. And then he says to us at the, towards the end of Revelation, you're written in the Lamb's book of life. You are the sheep now. He is our shepherd, right? Peace, safety for us. No matter what it looks like, like I said, prophecy is already and not yet, right? already, but not yet. Let's be encouraged by this. Let's be encouraged that our future is no pain and no suffering and that the glory, that the sufferings at this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And let's claim what he's given to us as already. And I I just really think that that is the, the way to do that is to go on the mount to spend the time, to spend time in the heavy, weighty presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much.